0: So it is my privilege this morning to introduce our guest speaker. He is no stranger to our church, but perhaps more importantly, he is a friend of our pastor's. And so when our pastor found himself needing to be away on a short notice personal ministry opportunity, he reached out to this friend and invited him who was very eager to meet the need and fill in for our pastor. So this morning our speaker is Jason Crosby. He is the regional manager for Moody Radio. Jason is a 2001 graduate of the University of Northwestern, St. Paul, where he earned a degree in broadcasting and Bible. He also earned a Master of Divinity in expository preaching from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina in 2012. Claiming both the Twin Cities and the Quad Cities as home, Jason and Susie have been married since 2007 and have three children. Let's welcome Jason to our pulpit this morning. Thank you. It's good to be back with you.
1: So I, uh, I wish I were continuing your series this morning in 1 uh, Peter. I, I am not, and I will blame my children. Um <laughs> So uh, my, my intentions were to, uh, uh, to be able to work on, on the text uh, this week and stay in uh, 1 Peter. And um, my, my wife reminded me that uh, she, she was asking me when I was going to work on it. <clears throat> and, uh, and so I had said, I'd said yes, and then she asked when I was going to work on it and reminded me that uh, Friday night... We had uh, birthday parties for our children that we were doing, and then uh, Saturday it was soccer pretty much all day. And um, so, yep, so we're in the book of Matthew this morning. <laughs> and uh, I, I think you'll find, though, that uh, our being there is very in, intentional. It is uh, going to be a good supplement, I, I think, to uh, what we're doing in, in First Peter. One of the features that I appreciate about my cell phone is that it sends me emergency alerts. And I I don't get them very often, but when I do get them, I, I pay attention. On January 14th, 2018, it was a Sunday, sunny, a sunny Sunday morning in Hawaii. And everything was operating like normal until a shift change happened at the Hawaii Emergency Management Agency. You see, at the beginning of each new shift, the team at the Hawaii Emergency Management Agency conducts a routine internal test that involves the emergency alert system as well as the wireless emergency alert. Now the difference, on this particular Sunday morning was that at 8.07 a.m., instead of running an internal test, the agency sent a real emergency alert that went to television stations, radio stations, and cell phones throughout Hawaii. And it broadcast the following message in all caps. Ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. For 38 terrifying minutes, 911 networks were overwhelmed by Hawaii residents, many of whom were hunkered in bathtubs and basements, waiting for a ballistic missile to strike. And it never came. It was 38 panic ensuing minutes that Hawaiians will never forget. See, from 8.07 a.m. until 8.45 a.m., Hawaii was trying to bring calm by notifying the people of the island that the alarm was false. That's a worrisome experience. Pastor, author, and Moody Professor Dr. Winfred Neely writes in his book, How to Overcome Worry, Experiencing the Peace of God in Every Situation, We live in a worry-filled and anxiety-driven world. He continues, in the 21st century, these threats seem larger, more frequent, and more menacing. Terrorism, economic uncertainty, the recent resurgence of racial unrest, the murder of respected police officers in the line of duty, the murder of unarmed civilians by rogue cops, the breakdown of trust between law enforcement and the citizenry, senseless gun violence, the danger some children face as they walk to and from school, mass shootings of innocent people, the moral and spiritual crisis of the Western world, and the erosion and blatant rejection of traditional values. All of these generate worry in many of us. According to a Gallup poll that was conducted in March of this year, Americans worry a great deal about crime. Gallup has been tracking this fear since 2001, when a record high, 62% of U.S. adults said they worried a great deal about crime and violence. Thirteen years later, in 2014, the number dropped to 39%, the lowest it's ever been since Gallup started tracking the statistic. But just fast forward six years to 2022, and the number has now tracked north to 53% who said they worry a great deal about crime. Only in 2001 was this number higher than it was in last month's poll. We worry. Kent Hughes calls anxiety the universal universal disease of our age. We worry, and we worry, and we worry, and here's the problem, we're good at it. We are good worriers. And even though we're good at it, worry is not a virtue that we would hold up as something that we should all aspire to. No, because worry doesn't build up. Worry tears down. It's taxing. It zaps us of energy. It can feel like this million-pound weight bearing down on us. And it's tiring, And it hurts. And we're just not sure how much longer we can do it. But there's good news for us this morning. Jesus has a message for you and for me. And it's a message of freedom. So when Pastor Ed asked me to preach this week, he shared that you're in 1 Peter. And as I processed, what's a message that would be helpful, that would be supplemental I was brought here to Matthew six twenty-five through thirty-four. So, if you brought your Bible with you this morning, that is where we are going to be. Matthew chapter six, verses twenty-five through thirty-four. See, first Peter. First Peter talks about suffering, and while none of us would eagerly pick a regular diet of Suffering, if you're like me. The idea of suffering brings worry and anxiety with it. But the good news for you and for me this morning, straight from the words of Christ, is this if you are a follower of Jesus, you have no reason to worry. However, if you're not a follower of Christ, you have great reason to worry. So let's look at our text, Matthew 6, verses 25 through the end of the chapter, verse 34. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing?" Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray, and then uh, we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for this text. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you, Father, for the ways that it reorients our thinking, for the ways that It draws us to you for the ways, Father, that it demonstrates your love for us, your care for us, your concern for us. That you would take a topic like worry and tell us that there's a better way. So thank you, Father, for showing us this morning that way. Now, God, help us to continue worshiping you through the proclamation of your word, God, that we would not just be hearers of it, but that we would apply it to. God, be worshipped. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we get into some of the specifics, Let's focus in on on what is happening here. So our text is part of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And there are two groups that Jesus has with him here at uh, this uh, particular juncture. First group is his disciples. Those are the people that he has called to himself. And then there's this second group that is there as well. And these are the crowds. They're also filled with religious leaders. And, and uh, the crowds are people who are curious about Jesus, but they're not quite ready to follow him yet. So he's got these two groups there, and he's got the same message to both groups. And it's this. If you're going to be a follower of mine, this is what it looks like. And in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, he lays it out. And so that is the background. Now we are at... Matthew 6.25. And Matthew 6.25 starts with a very important word. Do you see it? It's the very first word. It's therefore. And anytime you see that word therefore, you have to ask, what is the therefore there And so usually what that is, is it's tying back into the previous statement. So this, this section on anxiety actually is the conclusion to what he talks about here in verses 19 through 24. I want you to look at verse 24. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So following the statement then comes, this natural transition to talking about worry, right? Because money brings with it a lot of things, namely security. If you have money, you can pay bills, you can maintain, you can even improve your lifestyle. But if you don't have money, then you can't pay bills. And if you default on what it is that you owe, then what you have could become someone else's. So Jesus' statement is not an indictment on being wealthy. However, if something other than God is Lord of your life, that is idolatry. And idolatry is a violation of the greatest commandment to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so in Matthew 6, 19 through 24, Jesus is saying that the faith and the trust of his disciples is not ultimately in material things. The follower of Christ does not bow in submission and is not mastered by money or any other material thing. The follower of Christ bows to and is mastered by Christ. Christ. Our faith is in God, who is the creator of and the provider of material things. So, when we arrive at verse 25, we come across this statement. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. So we can summarize that statement this way. The Christian's only master is God. And because of that, you have no reason to be anxious. So our first point this morning, there are four of them. If you are taking notes, our first one is this. Because of who God is, you don't need to worry. Because of who God is, you don't need to worry. If you can only have one master, and the master you are enslaved to is God, then for a believer to worry is to submit themselves to another master. And that's being unfaithful. That's disobedient. So listen to the words of Winfred Neely again. In the New Testament, worry is the sinful response of the human heart and mind to real difficulties and problems in life. The problems and circumstances that elicit worry are not imaginary. Worry is concern turned inward and deformed, divorced from the grace of God and rooted in unhealthy fear. In addition, it is a practical expression of unbelief, causing a distraction from what is essential in life and resulting in misplaced priorities. Gary Collins, in his book, Christian Counseling, provides us with additional clarity when he explains worry comes when we turn from God, shift the burdens of life onto ourselves, and assume, at least by our attitude and actions, that we alone are responsible for handling problems. Instead of acknowledging God's sovereignty and power or seeking his kingdom and righteousness first, many of us slip into sinful self-reliance and preoccupation with our own life. Pressures. Notice the instruction. Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life. So here's what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying one day in the future, something's going to happen and you're going to become anxious. When that thing happens... Don't get anxious. No, what Jesus is communicating is this. You worried yesterday about life, and you worried today about life, and you're worrying about life right now. So let's clear up what Jesus means when he says life. When he says life, he means your physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual being. It is an all-inclusive term. Nothing is left out with this word. So if we're followers of Christ, we have absolutely no justifiable reason to worry when your God is the God of the universe and of everything that's in it. But before I go any further, I want to speak to a specific group of people, because maybe you're here this morning, and you struggle with depression or with panic attacks, and anxiety is something that's a very serious issue for you. And so I want to be sensitive to your situation as you process what the Bible says on anxiety and what it is that you're experiencing, because here's what you need to know. You need to know that this message from Jesus is not meant to be a burden, This message isn't meant to give you just one more thing to worry about. It's meant to bring freedom. It's a message of hope and healing and help and grace and mercy. And all of those are available to you right now, today, in the present. And they'll be available tomorrow, too. Your path to healing and to wholeness might look different than someone else's path. And it might involve help from a professional. But listen, that's okay. What you need to hear is that Christ offers help and healing and freedom from the burden of anxiety, and it's available to you. I turn again to Winfred Neely, who says this, there is no situation that is so dark that God, who is greater then our circumstances cannot be trusted. All right, so if that's the case, in what specific circumstances can I trust Christ and not worry? So Jesus lists three of them in verse 25. He says, Do not be anxious for your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? I don't know if this has ever happened uh, in your home, but I'm guessing that uh, it has. I'm guessing that you have had an instance or two in your home, maybe it'll happen this afternoon, when the pangs of hunger struck. And there was a trip that you, we'll, we'll take the burden off of you, we'll put it on your spouse, okay? Or brother, sister, somebody else in the family, okay? That other person goes to the fridge, opens the doors, oh, the cold, can you feel the cold of the fridge, the refreshment, the light shining? And you open the doors and looking into the fridge and say, thank you, Lord, for all of this glorious food that is before me of which I can partake. Right, that's not what happens, is it? It's not how it goes down. No, we open the fridge, we look inside, and what's our phrase? There is nothing to eat. <laughs> All right, well what about what about this example? How many times have you made a trip to the closet and you open the closet doors and you look inside? and you say out loud so the whole house can hear, thank you, Lord, for all of the clothes that you have provided. That's not it, is it? No, no. The closet opens, and the phrase that's uttered is, I have nothing to wear. So what's behind both questions? Why would we look in a refrigerator that's full of food or a closet full of clothes and say that there's nothing to eat? Nothing to wear. And the answer is that that, that you and I, at our core, we're self absorbed people. And when self absorbed people only focus on our bodies being fed or on uh, uh, clothes, or, or when we focus on being fed, clothed, watered, and housed, we can't help but worry if we think that we're lacking in one of those areas. See, in Bible times, it would would be difficult not to worry about those things. It rarely rained. So if there was little snow on the mountain, or in the mountains, then there would be little water in the rivers. And a shortage of water brought a shortage of food. Shortages of water and food would seriously affect the whole economy and then make clothes harder to buy. But what did Jesus say? Jesus says, do not be anxious for any of those things. Why? Because life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. See, Jesus is helping us take a step back and see the bigger picture. And since life itself comes from God, why should we worry and fret about his giving us the small things, like the food and the drink, necessary for life? God does not go halfway. He gave you life, and he will maintain it as long as he wills. And so if, if there's a God who has given us the great gift of life, and he has... And we don't need to be anxious about the little things that we need day by day. We don't need to worry because of who God is. So that's our first point this morning. So who is he? Who is he? He's your provider. That's the second thing we need to see You don't need to worry because of how God provides. You don't need to worry because of how God provides. Let's take a look at these three illustrations that Jesus uses to prove his point. The first is in verse 26 Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? How many birds do you know that are suffering from high blood pressure? (laughs) Any any birds suffering from stress-related diseases? Certainly there's no bird that is worried about where their next meal is going to come from. As a matter of fact, the only time that a bird eats excessively is when humans put them in cages. Birds don't stockpile food. Why? Because God has provided them with an abundance of food resources and then the instincts to find those resources. There are millions and millions of birds, and God provides for each one of them. None of them. There is no bird that is created in God's image. But listen to this argument. If God so carefully takes care of such relatively insignificant creatures as birds, how much more will he take care of those who are created in his own image and who have become his children through faith? Are you not of more value than they? No bird was promised airship with Jesus Christ throughout all eternity. No bird has a place prepared for them in heaven. But if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and he's Lord of your life, you do. God provides for the birds. He will provide for you to. Let's look at the second illustration. You'll see it in verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Let's state the obvious. Anxiety does not lengthen life. If if Pastor Ed were here this morning and, and he stood before us and said, I have found a way to make myself six feet tall. And then, he, I, I can use him in the illustration, he's not here to defend himself, right? <laughs> so, And if he, if he said, here's, how, here's what I'm gonna do. I am going to hang myself upside down from my feet and just stretch, and I'm gonna do this every day for three hours. And after two weeks, I will be six feet tall. We we would we would look at Ed and say, probably not, probably not. And 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 we would we would say, Ed, that, that idea is crazy, that's absurd, and that's what Jesus is saying here about anxiety. And adding onto your life, that's what that length means. It's literally if a person were to stretch and make themselves taller, it can't happen. There's no adding on of life. Dr. Charles Mayo of the Mayo Clinic says, worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, and the whole nervous system. He says, I've never met a man or woman to die of overwork, but I have known a lot who died of worry. Charles Spurgeon says of this, work, work, uh, of this verse, all the worry in the world cannot produce length. Why then do we give way to care about things which we cannot alter? If fretting were of any use... It would have some excuse. But as it does no good, let us cease from it. Worry does not add length in years or height. Rather, it seems that the reverse is true. It tends to shorten years and makes them harder and more burdensome. Finally, Jesus gave us a third illustration. This one has to do with clothing. He says, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Lilies of the field may be any of the wild flowers that are uh, very abundant in Galilee. And these flowers of the field, they correspond to birds of the air. But the point is just a little bit different from the first illustration, where birds work but don't worry. The flowers neither toil nor spin. And the point is not that Jesus' disciples can be lazy, but that God's providence and his care are so rich that he clothes the the grass with wild flowers that are neither productive or enduring. And even Solomon, the richest and most extravagant of Israel's kings, Solomon in all of his splendor was not arrayed like one of these fields. Here's what one pastor says about this text. He says, when you look at a lily, which has no will of its own to labor and spin, yet adorned with beautiful form and color, if you believe in God, you must draw at least this one conclusion. God delights to adorn things. But if his delight finds expression in adorning grass that's here today and gone tomorrow, then surely his delight in adornment will express itself and how he clothes his children. One commentator sums it up this way, worry is not a trivial sin because it strikes a blow both at God's love and at God's integrity. Worry declares our Heavenly Father to be untrustworthy in his word and his promise. Worry shows that we are mastered by our circumstances and by our own finite perspective and understanding rather than by God's worried word. Worry is therefore not only debilitating and destructive, but maligns and impugns God. So, so far we've seen that number one, you don't need to worry because of who God is. And number two, you don't need to worry because of how God provides. Here's number three. You don't need to worry because if you're a Christ follower, you're not part of this world. If you're a Christ follower, you're not part of of this world. Jesus says in verses 31 through 34, 33 Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That word Gentiles is an important word. And the word literally means peoples or multitude. When it's used in the plural form, like it is here, it usually means unbelievers. And so Jesus is saying, when you worry about these things, you're worrying about things that the world worries about. See, people who don't follow God chase after things that are not eternal. They put their hope and their expectations in things that they can enjoy now. And when we worry, we look just like the world. And we're saying to God that we don't think he knows our needs. But look again at verse 32. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. See, our worry shows that we're too close to the world and too far from God. So, so don't be anxious. The world has nothing eternal to offer. And your loving Heavenly Father knows your needs now and forever. So what do we do instead? Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The cause of worry is seeking the things of the world, and the cause of contentment is seeking the things of God's kingdom and his righteousness. So what does that look like? There are three three things that come to mind. First, it's losing ourselves in obedience to the Lord, and to the extent that we can say, as Paul did in Acts 20:24, 20, he says, "But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord uh, Jesus to testify of the gospel to the grace of God." Second, it's to commit our lives to the work and service of our Heavenly Fathers in our families, in our neighborhood, in our job, in our school, in whatever location or setting God has placed you in. And then it's also to seek to win people into the kingdom that they might be saved and God might be glorified. So Jesus has one last statement for us about worry, and it's this, number four. You don't need to worry about tomorrow. Jesus says in verse 34, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I can't predict the news stories, but I can assure you of this. Tomorrow is going to have trouble. There's no getting around it. Worrying about tomorrow doesn't enable you to escape evil. It makes us unfit to cope with it. Kent Hughes says, we always have the strength to bear the trouble when it comes, but we do not have the strength to bear worrying about it. If you add today's troubles to tomorrow's troubles, you give yourself an impossible burden. Frequently, our worry and anxiety is the result of circumstances that are beyond our control. Max Lucado has written a little devotional book for moms, and in it he has a section titled, What Ifs and Howls? The Burden of Worry. He asks what a mother may very well ask, like, what if I marry a guy who snores? How will we pay for our baby's tuition? Commenting on Jesus' statement in, Max, or in Matthew 6.34, Lucato writes this, God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. And then Lucato goes on to give additional counsel based on the phrase, when the time comes. For example... I don't know what I'll do if my husband dies. You will when the time comes. I don't know what I'll do when my children leave the house. I don't think that I can take it. It won't be easy, but strength will arrive when the time comes. The key is this. Meet today's problems with today's strength. Don't start tackling tomorrow's problems until tomorrow. You do not have tomorrow's strength yet. You simply have enough for today. So the first key to overcoming worry is to learn how to utilize God's strength and accomplish what is set before us today. Because today's accomplishment is tomorrow's lesson. The second is this, we have to trust God. You have to trust God that he knows what you need and will meet those needs. Perhaps not in the way that you think he should, but always in the way that is best for accomplishing his plans and purposes. Let me give you two more from Winfred Neely's book, How to Overcome Worry. He adds biblical meditation and practicing prayer. He says that biblical meditation involves rigorous and prolonged reflection on the person of God, the character of God, and the ways of God. In biblical meditation, one chooses a portion of scripture and thinks hard about the passage, reflecting slowly and deeply about the content of the passage and its practical implications for living. In biblical meditation, you are in an active frame of mind, filling your mind with the scriptures. And the next step to overcoming worry is to pray. Neely says that we conquer worry by taking everything to the Lord in prayer. He says this, we tend to live as if the situations in our lives are either too big or too trivial for God. Of course, we may not admit it, but sometimes we act like our particular situation is too great for him. If we had the resources, we would step in and resolve the problems ourselves. Or we bury our heads in the sand and try to ignore the harsh winds of difficulty blowing around us. Alternatively, we may have the attitude that our circumstances are too trivial for God's interest, or we may be so confused, so conflicted in our emotions, and so exhausted by intense mental and spiritual battles that we forget that even in these circumstances, prayer is appropriate and necessary. For all practical purposes, we are declaring our situation to be outside the influence of our God. So Neely's got three suggestions to help us pray. His first is to write out your prayer requests. You could keep a list of requests that have been made and answered. Then he suggests, number two, keeping the channel of communication with heaven open. He writes, living in sin and disobedience hinders our prayer life, so so we must repent of sin and confess it regularly. Repentance and confession are how we keep the channel of communication with heaven open. And then he suggests increasing the amount of time we spend in prayer. He recommends praying through the Psalms to help you increase your time in prayer. And last he says, pray prayers of surrender. He says this, prayer does not always mean that the Lord will remove the difficulty you are facing. Sometimes he doesn't. This reality is laid out for us in 2 Corinthians 12, seven through 10, where Paul shares that he was given a thorn in the flesh. We're not told the specifics of the thorn But we see that Paul sought the Lord three times about this particular matter in prayer. He requested that the thorn be taken away, but God's answer was no. But with God's no came a better plan. So think deeply about the promise of God that holds true in all circumstances of life. And it's this. My grace is sufficient for you. So four takeaways this morning. Number one, because of who God is, you don't need to worry. Number two, you don't need to worry because of how God provides. Number three, you don't need to worry because you're not part of this world. And number four, you don't need to worry about tomorrow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you for the time that we've had in your word. We pray, God, that you would use your word, that it would be an ointment to our souls, Father, that those of us who are here with heavy burdens, God, would would hear your instruction, your word, and that through it, they would feel refreshed, encouraged, challenged. God, you know that none of us in this room is exempt from worry. We all battle worry. And so, Father, may we be an encouragement to each other when those battles come. God, may we challenge each other to reflect back on this word when we are worried about circumstances. Father, I pray for all of us in this room that we would know that there is hope and help and freedom available to us in this area. God, we thank you for this time in your word. Thank you that you've not left us to figure this all out by ourselves, but God, you have provided a way As you always do, there is a path forward. And so, Father, when suffering comes our way, may we not look at that suffering and fear, but God, that we would know that, one, it's temporary. The day is coming where we will be face to face with you. God, we look forward to that day. Until then, Father, help us not to worry and help us to seek you and to love you with all that we have. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.